0: The great American philosopher, uh, Oprah Winfrey, uh, she, she once said this, uh, she said, I believe that everything happens for A reason. Everything happens for a reason. Even if we're not wise enough to see it, uh, when there is no struggle, there is no strength. Everything happens for a reason. Okay, that's uh, Oprah Winfrey's thesis. Uh, Is she right? Is she? It kind of uh, sounds a little bit like Facebook theology, doesn't it? The sort of thing that might appear in your feed that's kind of shared by that friend of yours who loves cats more than human beings. You know, you can imagine it everything happens for a reason. But is it just Facebook theology? Is it, is it just a sort of nice, twee, sort of silly idea? Or is there actually a little bit more substance to what is being said there? Like if we as Christians this morning had a view into the spiritual realms today, what would we see? Would we see just a wash of coincidence an accident or would we see that there is some sort of structure, there is some sort of ordering to everything? Does everything happen for a reason? Well, this morning, uh, as a congregation, we turned to Esther chapter 6, which I'm sure you would agree is the most wonderful uh, and quite a gripping and exciting chapter of Scripture, isn't it? And as we do so, what we will see is more of the powerful, yes, but more of the invisible ordering of God. So in this portion of scripture this morning, we're going to see most clearly that God does work all things together for the, for those who love Him. All things. So. Uh, With these things said, I would invite you, please, to turn with me in your Bibles to Esther 6, to that portion of Scripture that we read, just to have it open in in front of you there. Uh, Esther 6 is page 505, if you're using the purple uh, Bible. And uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll look at this portion of Scripture, this chapter of Scripture, under three headings, three short, concise headings this morning. That's the plan. The first of those is the subtlety of providence. The subtlety of providence. Okay. Um, Last time out of your here, you remember that we saw a couple of things going on. Remember last time? On on one hand you had Esther, and and remember she was trying to entice Xerxes wasn't she trying to entice him in order trying to deliver the Jews you had that then on the other hand do you remember who we had we had Haman and we had Haman and his cunning plan to try and destroy Mordecai so you got these two kind of things going on and as we left things it was almost you could say it was almost like night was falling And we could hear workmen in the distance in the citadel of Susa. What were they doing? They were putting the finishing touches to the gallows, weren't they? From which Mordecai is due to be hanged. So what happens? Okay, what, what happens here? Well, we've all been, we've all been there before, haven't we? Perhaps we've had an espresso a little bit too late at night. Maybe we've been on our phones a little bit too late in the evening and now look at us, we're lying there and we, we're, we're tossing and turning and we cannot sleep. Surely you've been there. It's utter misery, isn't it? Well, isn't that what we're dealing with here? If you see in verse 1, we are told King Xerxes, the Persian king, he could not sleep, can't sleep, can't sleep, what do you do if you are the Persian king and you can't sleep, what do you do, well actually what Xerxes does, um, I hope you see it's a little bit surprising, isn't it a bit surprising, because think about this, remember what we said before, this guy at the time was the most powerful man in the whole of the world, So he could have any form of entertainment brought to him that he likes. And what does he choose? He chooses to have his attendants come and bring to him and read aloud the book of the chronicles of his reign. You see why that's surprising? It was boring is why it's surprising. This book was really, really dull by all accounts. Okay, this is not... The Chronicles of Narnia that he's having read. Do you see? It's it was this prosaic, a dry retelling of history. So I don't know. What do you think? Maybe, maybe he's hoping that by having this read out, it'll cause him to fall asleep again. Maybe that, do you think maybe that's what's going on here? If so, he's in for a a bit of a nasty surprise, isn't he? You see what what I mean by that? As these attendants read out this book wait a minute. As they read out that story. Like the story that you and I have encountered before. You know the one I mean, don't you? They read out about Mordecai. And how he had heard what who was it, uh, Big Thana and Teresh conspire to kill Xerxes? Remember what Mordecai did? He, he ran off to report this conspiracy. As the attendants read this out, what is it that Xerxes realizes? Oh wait a minute, I've forgotten to do something. He realizes that he has not rewarded Mordecai for this act of loyalty to the crown. Now maybe you're asking just now, so what <laughs> so what? Like, why is this such a big deal? Why is it that Xerxes is clearly so taken and and worried about not rewarding Mordecai? You're asking that. Why is he so flustered about this? Well, come on. Like, just for a second, put yourself at the time. Like, this is the Persian Empire this was an age of backstabbing this was an age of treachery you you can imagine an age where there's all of these conspiracies and plots to try and overtake and kill the king so think about the logic here that's going on Xerxes knows that if he gets a reputation for rewarding loyalty what's more likely to happen if he's got that sort of reputation if people think well I'll be rewarded for being loyal what are they more likely to do they are more likely, surely, to be loyal. So Xerxes knows this thing with Mordecai is important. So you see what he does? He jumps out of bed, off with the duvet. He wants this resolved right now. And he learns what? He learns that Haman is ideally placed outside the door. Tell you what, let's pick up a remote and press pause And the scene just there, just as Haman is entering into the royal court. Why? Because surely you and I learn lessons, even in what we've seen thus far, about the working and the providence of Almighty God. Isn't that right? Like, think about what we've said a number of times in this sermon series so far. We've said, isn't that a remarkable thing, this? We have said that that nowhere in the book of Esther is the name of God mentioned. I wish that a few times. Every time still startles me a little bit, isn't it? Nowhere in the whole of the book of Esther is the name of God mentioned. But here's the thing. There is no way on this earth that you're telling me this morning that when Ididai read Esther chapter 6, And as we study it just now, there's no way on this earth you're telling me you did not see God's hand in action in this story. Isn't that right? There is no way you're telling me you did not see God's power in action here. Now just think about it for a minute. Think about the perfect timing of this story. Think about it. On the exact same night... That Haman has resolved to put Mordecai to death. What's happened? On the exact same night, what's happened? God has caused Xerxes to read about Mordecai in this book of Chronicles. Isn't that something? On the exact same night? And then think about this. Think about this. At the precise moment where Haman has entered into the royal court to ask for Mordecai's death. At that precise second, what's happening? Xerxes is resolving to honor Mordecai. Do you see? At the exact same time, the exact same second. Now listen to me, not five years previously, not five years previously when Mordecai first reported the conspiracy. It happened five years ago, but not then and not in any of the intervening moments. No, right there, right at that precise moment as Haman enters into the court and he's wanting to put Mordecai to death. It's then and there that God moves this. Do you see the lesson for London City Presbyterian Church? I wonder. Do you see the lesson for yourself? Not only do we know as Christians that God works all things for good, not only do we know that everything happens in our lives for a reason, we also know that everything in our lives as Christians, everything, it happens at exactly the right time as well. But I do think there is another greater truth here. See, would you not uh, agree with this uh, conclusion uh, this morning? That so far, if you've been here for this sermon series, most of you have, you know, if you've been here for this sermon series, would you not agree that so far the book of Esther has been a, uh, the insiest little bit dark? Wouldn't you agree with that? It's a pretty dark book. I mean, so far it has been basically an onslaught against people of Israel and the Jews, isn't it? Like there's been nothing but opposition to the Jewish nation as a whole. You know, this declaration that all the Jews are to be wiped out. There's been this opposition to individual, right? Individual Jews like Mordecai. It's pretty dark stuff, isn't it? So far, all these chapters, it's pretty. It's doom and gloom. But this is what I want you to understand and get. See what you've got in front of you this morning. Esther chapter 6. It is the turning point of the whole book. See what I mean by that? This portion of scripture that we are studying just now, these events just now, this is the key moment of the whole book. This is the, the watershed moment. This is the turning point of the whole story of Esther. Okay, from here on in, it's going to change, it's going to lift, it's going to look a little bit brighter. Now, wrestle with that for a moment. Think about that. Here's the question. If Esther 6 is the turning point, what then could we say is the most crucial moment of the whole of the book of Esther? If this is the turning point, what's the most crucial moment in the whole of the book of Esther? Is it last chapter when esther bravely goes in to see the king is that it no that's not the most crucial moment is it when do you remember mordecai refusing refusing a bow at haman's feet is that the most important moment in the whole book no what is it then what's the most important moment friends do you see that the turning point of this whole story it is the miserable insomnia of a king do you see that this whole book that we are studying, it pivots and it turns on the fact that one particular night, a king, can he get to sleep? It all turns on that moment. Do you see the message though? It is the providence of Almighty God that changed the course of history, isn't it? It is the silent working of God that turns the story of Esther. It is our God's involvement in a seemingly insignificant moment that King can't sleep. It seems insignificant, but it's God's involvement in that that ultimately enables the deliverance of the Jews. And I want you to hear this and hear it loud and clear. You see that. You see that faithful ordering of God for the salvation of his people. You understand, do you not, that that still occurs today. Now is that not, wait a minute, is that not reason for joy and rejoicing amongst the people of God? You see what we are saying here? That our God uses the apparently insignificant moments of our lives. He uses each and every single one of them. Now think about that, on a a daily basis, the people that you meet... And the conversations that we have and, you know, the news that we get and the way that events unfold, God is in action in every single one of them. Do you see that? That that he is working these consistent, small, unseen, maybe yet incredible miracles every single day in your life. And why? All for the benefit of the people of God. Does it sound like Facebook theology to you? It's not. It is, though, a clear lesson of Esther chapter 6. So we see the subtlety of providence. A second heading that we see here, something else we see is the shock uh, of the proud. The shock of the proud. Ah, yeah. Remember turning my, my, my TV on a, a while ago? Mm-hmm. And I remember what? The hundred funniest TV moments or something. Like now, if you were to do that with the Holy Scripture, I'm hoping that you would see that like, what we're dealing with this morning in Esther chapter 6 and come out number 1 is the most ironic sort of portion uh, of Scripture in the whole of the Bible. You see that? Don't you? Now, just think about how unfold for a moment here. So Haman strides into the palace only to be met by a question from the king. So Xerxes looks at Haman and says, okay, Haman, you can see how it's kind of ambiguous as well. He's not specific here. He says, okay, Haman, what should be done for the man that the king desires to honor And hopefully you see the problem. You see the mistake that Haman makes, do you? What does Haman think? Haman thinks that Xerxes is referring to himself. So he's rubbing his hands with glee and he's thinking, oh yes, I'm soon to be lavished in all this praise and this glory. You know, he's delighted with this. So what does he do? How does he answer? He forget wealth. I've got enough money. And forget position, that's fine. How does Haman answer? <laughs> Haman's like, oh, okay. What should be done for it? the man that the, 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 the king desires to honour? I'll tell you what! You Xerxes, please find your greatest nobleman. You know, a man of real position and power. And you have that nobleman dress, this man, whoever he might be, dress him in robes you yourself has worn and then I tell you what, place him in a royal steed okay, and, and have him led around the city declaring his praises before him you can kind of see it, can't you? you can see Haman rubbing his hands and excitement in his voice about all of this, can't you? can you see it? and then what happens? then Haman gets what surely is the shock of his life and I want you to think about the truth of that for a moment. Think about how shocking it would have been for Haman. What does he learn? He learns that it is not he, but who? Mordecai. Mordecai, who is supposed to be honoured. And you can you can see that he can hardly believe his ears, right? Mordecai. This sick horrible meaningless little man you know Haman's arch enemy a man he hates not only is Mordecai to be honored but what else it is to be Haman who is to lead him around declaring the praises of Mordecai don't you see the shock you see the awful awful shock for this man and look how the scene ends you've got Haman scuttling home now with his head covered, grieving mourning, and his tail between his legs. Friends, listen. See in this scene in Esther chapter 6 the fate of the proud on the last day. See here and in that the fate of the proud on the day of judgment. Now, I want to ask you, do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the last day? See, when Hebrews says clearly that it is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment, does that enter in? Do you consider that reality? See, although we know that on that final day, ultimately God will divide mankind into two categories, won't he? Sheep and goats, those who are his and those who are not, although we know that is true, surely you see that there will be a variety of reactions on the Day of Judgment. A variety of reactions. There will be those given to joy on that last day. Will there not? Those who have, in this life, just now, trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And what will happen on that last day? What did we sing earlier on? That they will see Him. The joy. They You'll see Jesus. You will see Jesus in the flesh. There will be those given to joy. There will be people like that. But there will be others. There will be those who in those final moments will Appreciate the true gravity and the immensity of what is occurring round about them. People who will be given immediately to regret at the lives they have lived in, the, the, the lives that have not sought Christ for forgiveness. There will be people like that. Here's what I want you to consider. There will also on that last day there will be people who stand like Haman stands here. People in the final reckoning who are given to unmistakable and terrible shock. 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 People who like this, they stand before the king, expecting, because of who they are, to be poor. To be lavished with great glory and honor and praise. Only to see that honor go to other people. Like to go to people they see as being humble and insignificant. They are enemies. People on that last day who will have that shock turn like Haman to unspeakable sadness. As they too are made to wander away in she friends can i say to you do not be amongst that crowd do not be amongst those who are shocked On the last day. Do not be amongst those who. At that very moment cry out. Lord. Lord. But I did this in your name. And I went to London City Presbyterian Church. And I listened for half an hour. And I did this. And I I gave to charity. Only for the Lord Jesus Christ to say. But I never knew you. Friend. Don't be amongst that crowd. While you have time. In this life, look to the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Because there is honor, honor in that humility. But I think what we see in Esther chapter 6 is that before the king of kings, there is no honor to be found for the proud. And then the last thing we'll consider just now the security of the people of God the security of the people of God we've said that Haman is shocked and he is surprised at the way that these uh, events are unfolding in the palace you can see though can't you at the end of this chapter Haman's not the only one who is shocked by what's going on he's not the only one that's surprised back at Haman's house who who do we have? We've got Haman's friends, and we've got Haman's wife, Zeresh. And, and, and you can see that they're just waiting there. They're just eager for Haman to get back, and they can start planning Mordecai's execution. They're keen for this to happen. They open the front door, and what do they see? They see Mordecai coming towards them, trudging, head covered in tears, in grief. Now, surely you've got to love the way that Haman's wife, Zeresh, responds to all of this. Because all of a sudden she comes over sort of all John Calvin on us for a moment, doesn't she not? You think about it. A moment ago, she was the one suggesting Mordecai's death. Now she is a top theologian. Look at this. Verse 13. Let me read it to you. She says, so Haman comes in Maybe uncovers his head. She says, Amen. He tells her what's happening. She says, Haman, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is a Jew, since he's of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. So you see what's happening here? Like Zeresh clearly knows something about the God of the Jews. Doesn't she? She's a woman in the Persian Empire. She knows something here about God, about Yahweh's covenantal relationship with his people. She knows something about this. And now, as Haman relays the events that have taken place in the palace, what is it that Zeresh can see? She can see it's true. Like she can, she, she can see that it's true she can see that this God truly is faithful to his people she can see that this God will always, always, always act to protect those who are his she can see it here's the thing I hope you this morning can see that that almighty truth still stands today do you see that? that God is still ever faithful and ever faithful to his covenantal people. Who are they? Well, what Christ Jesus has done for us is he has fulfilled man's part in the covenant with God. And now, today, by being united to Christ in faith, It is you and me as Christians in here today who stand this morning as God's covenantal children. We are God's covenantal people. Do you see what that means? This faithful God that we are reading off here in Esther chapter 6, he stands over and he protects us in Christ today. He does. And what's the outcome of this? What's the end point of all of this? One word. One word. Honor. that the honour that, that Mordecai receives from King Xerxes here in Esther chapter 6 it shall in no way compare to the honour that you receive in Christ on the final day before our God it in no way compares with that and so surely we must end this sermon praising the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I ask you. How did all of this come about? How does it come about? Do you see? We receive honor. Because the Lord Jesus Christ gave his up. and Isn't that right? For us. For you. Think about that for a moment. That like here. For us. The Lord Jesus Christ was dressed in fake royal Robes, not by a nobleman, but by Roman soldiers. That, like here, for us, that the Lord Jesus Christ was led around the streets, not on a royal steed, but carrying a heavy wooden cross. That like here for us, that he had people shout before him, not praise, but ridicule and abuse. You see it? He divested himself of glory that you might receive honor on the final day before the king. So the last thing that needs to be said is quite simple. I must ask you this, do you know Christ Jesus as Saviour? Do you know this humble Saviour as your Saviour and Lord? Do you know that? If so, you also know this, that such is God's faithfulness and care that all things happen in your life for a reason. That such is his care and his compassion, that God is aligning with precision and perfect timing, All things in your life. And why? And why? So that on the final reckoning, on the last day of things, Almighty God will say of Christ Jesus and will say of all of us in him, what will he say? What will he say? These ones here. These ones. These are the ones the king delights to honor. Let's pray.